integrity, the quality of being complete, unbroken condition, entirety, Webster. A wild patience has taken me this far, as if I had to bring to shore a boat with a spasmodic outboard motor, old sweaters, nets, spray-modeled books tossed in the prow, some kind of sun burning my shoulder blades, splashing the oarlocks, burning through. Your forearms can get scalded, licked with pain in a sun-blotted-like unspoken anger behind a casual mist. The length of daylight this far north in this 49th year of my life is critical. The light is critical of me, of this long-dreamed involuntary landing on the arm of an inland sea, the glitter of the shoal depleting into shadow I recognize, the stand of pines, violet-black really, green in the old postcard, But really, I have nothing but myself to go by. Nothing stands in the realm of pure necessity except what my hand can hold. Nothing but myself, myself. After so long, this answer, as if I had always known, I steer the boat in, simply. The motor dying on the pebbles, cicadas taking up the hum dropped in the silence. Anger and tenderness myself. And now I can believe they breathe in me as angels, not polarities. Anger and tenderness, the spider's genius, to spin and weave in the same action from her own body anywhere, even from a broken web. The cabin in the stand of pines is still for sale. I know this, know the print of the last foot the hand that slammed and locked the door, then stopped to wreathe the rain-smashed clematis back on the trellis, for no one's sake except its own. I know the chart nailed to the wallboards, the icy kettle squatting on the burner, the hands that hammered in those nails, emptied that kettle one last time, are these two hands, and they have caught the baby leaping from between trembling legs, and they have worked the vacuum aspirator, and stroked the sweated temples and steered the boat there through this hot, misblotted sunlight, critical light, imperceptibly scalding the skin these hands will also solve. The Bad Old Days by Kenneth Rexwa. Summer of 1918, I read The Jungle and the Research Magnificent. That fall, my father died, and my aunt took me to Chicago to live. The first thing I did was to take a streetcar to the stockyards. In the winter afternoon, gritty and fetid, I walked through the filthy snow, through the squalid streets, looking shyly into people's faces, those who were home during the daytime. Debauched and exhausted faces, starved and looted brains, faces like the faces in the senile and insane wards of charity hospitals, predatory faces of little children. Then as the soiled twilight darkened under the green gas lamps and the sputtering purple arc lamps, the faces of the men coming home from work, 
some still alive with the last pulse of hope and courage, some sly and bitter, some smart and silly, most of them already broken and empty, no life, only blinding tiredness, worse than any tired animal. The sour smells of a thousand suppers, of fried potatoes and fried cabbage, bled into the street. I was giddy and sick, and out of my misery I felt rising a terrible anger, and out of the anger an absolute vow. Today the evil is clean and prosperous, but it is everywhere. You don't have to take a streetcar to find it, and it is the same evil. And the misery and the anger and the vow are the same. A Just Anger by Marge Piercy Anger shines through me. Anger shines through me. I am a burning bush. My rage is a cloud of flame. My rage is a cloud of flame in which I walk seeking justice like a precipice. How the streets of the Iron City flicker, flicker, and the dirty air fumes. Anger storms between me and things, transfiguring, transfiguring. A good anger acted upon is beautiful as lightning and swift with power. A good anger swallowed, a good anger swallowed, clots the blood to slime. Let us hear a few of the words from Adrian Rich again. Anger and tenderness, myselves, and now I can believe they breathe in me as angels, not polarities. Anger and tenderness, the spider's genius, to spin and weave in the same action from her own body everywhere, even from a broken web. What does it mean to let anger and tenderness breathe within us, and how might we weave them together? In my line of work, there's a cliche that the preacher often preaches the sermon that they need to hear. And today, that is especially true for me. I am on a journey with my own anger and rage, recognizing it, making sense of it, trying to use it as fuel for the work of love. Because of my innate personality, the family I was raised in, and the expectation the culture communicates, I have struggled to express anger. We all know that what is considered appropriate expression of anger is influenced by all of our identities in this culture. The people who are allowed to scream, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, are usually white, usually straight, cisgendered men of a certain age with some class privilege. And for those of us who don't hold all of those identities, it can be harder to know how to express our anger 
It can be hard to be angry. And this is my story with this. If you'd known me eight or ten years ago, you would have known a person who never got angry, or said she never got angry, which is not the same thing. And then I learned some things. I figured out what anger was. I learned that I had been misidentifying my anger my whole life. My epiphany came during a conflict negotiation and transformation class I took as part of my preparations to be a minister. I was sitting in a generic classroom on a Saturday afternoon as the instructor shared the words that changed my perspective. She said that many people, especially women, misidentify frustration as anger. We say we feel frustrated when we mean we feel angry. And anger and frustration are similar, but they're different in some really important ways. Frustration is a particular kind of anger. It's an inward-directed anger. The good people at Merriam-Webster tell us it is a feeling of anger or annoyance caused by being unable to do something. So back then, every time I felt angry, whether if it was at a huge system of oppression or a small personal slight, I would call it frustration. I would direct my emotion towards myself and my perceived inabilities. Instead of directing my anger at where it should go, at oppression or at cruelty, that person who gave me a dirty look, it was directed internally. If only I could be better. If only I had done something differently, I would not feel this way. And to take on responsibility for things you are not responsible for quickly turns the blood to slime. My anger, because I didn't even know what it was, couldn't be expressed in a healthy way. So it was redirected internally or would slip out sideways as passive aggression or other unpleasant things. And I share this story because I know it is not only my story. There are many of us who struggle to name anger when we feel it. This is especially common for women because so many of us are socialized to be nice and kind and good and polite. And even if we've thrown off some of that, throwing off all of that is really hard to do. There's not a lot of modeling of what female anger can look like. I mean, we've heard it, especially as we go in this presidential cycle, about what Hillary Clinton can or can't do tomorrow in the debates to still be taken seriously as a candidate. And we know this is not just a challenge for women. Many of us, especially who do not conform to the particular identities outlined earlier, are dismissed if we, disp- if we express anger. We're just another angry so-and-so. So how do we get to the place of using our anger as fuel for the work of love? And before I get into that, it's important to recognize that there is the holy anger, which is most of what I'm going to talk about today, and the other stuff. For our purposes today, holy anger is the anger against injustice or against violations of right relationship that motivate us in our social justice work and and that help us advocate for ourselves and others in relationship. And there's the anger that is decidedly not holy, 
There's the anger that undergirds oppression. There's the anger of abuse. There's the anger that is the result of being too tired or too hungry. And so how do we know which anger is which? Feminist Christian ethicist Beverly Wildung Harrison said in a powerful speech called The Power of Anger and the Work of Love that is one of my primary sources today that anger is not the opposite of love. It is better understood as a feeling signal that all is not well in relation to other persons or groups or to the world around us. Anger is a mode of connectedness to others and it is always a vivid form of caring. To grasp this point, that anger signals something amiss in relationship is a critical first step in understanding the power of anger in the work of love. That is how anger can be holy. When it shows us that we are not in right relations and calls us to mend our broken web. And I'm going to spend most of this sermon talking about the holy anger. But first, I have wisdom to pass along about the other stuff. About how we can move through unholy anger, the regular anger that flares in us from time to time. Many of us, especially when we were little, were told to redirect anger and aggression into something else. To punch a pillow instead of your brother, I remember being told. And studies show us that expressing anger in aggressive ways, even if it's harmless ways, like punching that pillow or going into a room by yourself to scream it out, generally reinforces that feeling of anger and makes us quicker to anger in the future. So instead, when the anger comes, I invite you to exercise. I know, we're all getting lots of talk about how we need to exercise, but this is important. Exercise is a powerful way to manage anger. The scientists think it has to do something with increasing our serotonin levels. And so it works both before and during the angry moment. So if you know you're going to be in a situation where anger is likely to arise, exercise first, and that anger will be easier to manage. Anger, exercise also helps when you're already feeling angry. So if you're in a context where you can press the cosmic pause button in an argument and go for a walk or do something else that gets your body moving at least a little bit, that will make it easier to manage and easier to be clear-headed with your anger. And back to the holy stuff. Some of the best work done on holy anger is by feminists and womanists. Womanism is a term coined by the author and poet Alice Walker for a social change perspective rooted in the experience of black women. These thinkers tell us that anger is the feeling signal that we are no longer in right relationship. It is information that something isn't right, whether within ourselves, in our relationships, or in the wider world. And that anger often can become the energy that fuels us to take the action needed to return to right relationship. Here's Beverly Harrison again. She says, where anger rises, there is the energy, the energy to act is present. In anger, one's body self is engaged and the signal comes that something is amiss in relation. To be sure, 
Anger, no more than any other set of feelings, does not lead automatically to wise or humane action. We must never lose touch with the fact that all serious human moral activity, especially action for social change, takes its bearing from the rising power of human anger. Anger can be an expression of hope, an assertion that things can be better than they are, that relationships that are more equitable and a world that is more just are possible. Anger is a tool of our prophets, ancient and modern, and the prophets are one of the six sources of our faith. Unitarian Universalism has six named sources of our living tradition, and one of them is words and deeds of prophetic women and men which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. And I know of no one who confronts powers and structures of evil without some anger. Holy anger is intertwined with prophetic action. As the poem told us earlier, a good anger acted upon is, a be- is beautiful as lightning and swift with power. The challenge of acting on or with our anger is that we can't dwell in it, even when it's holy maybe especially when it's holy. We need to feel the anger, identify it, understand what's causing it, and then transform it into something else or move through it. If we dwell in our anger too long, it devours us. This is a teaching of many of the prophets and many wisdom traditions. Frederick Buechner is a writer and a Christian theologian who talks about this beautifully. He writes, of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. (laughs) To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are giving and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. The wise ones teach us that anger swallowed or dwelled in turns to slime or eats us alive. When our holy anger comes, we need to feel it, identify it, act, move through it. We need to return to the tools of the prophets which are justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. And one of the ways we transform our holy anger into the work of love is by joining together with one another. This is part of why we do church. There is so much in our world that can make us angry. And we know that by coming here, by working together to transform ourselves and the world, we can convert that anger into fuel and make our world more loving and more just. There are so many ways to do that work here. It happens teaching, it happens in worship, and I want to highlight one chance coming up on the evening of October 6th at the Isaac Public Meeting. Isaac is the congregation-based community organizing group that our church is part of. 
and we join with dozens of other congregations to turn our righteous anger into the work of love and make a difference in Kalamazoo. So if you are angry about racism, if you are angry about violence, if you are angry about how early childhood traumas can set people on a trajectory, a negative trajectory for the rest of their lives, come to this meeting. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and when we join together, we are powerful. When we unite in our holy anger, we create the world that we dream about. And we know that we are not always the angry ones in our relationships. Others are angry with us. And what do we do when that happens? Beverly Harrison lays out two options. We can avoid, ignore, condemn, or blame. Or we can act to alter relationship towards reciprocity, beginning a real process of hearing and speaking to each other. Choosing the second option when someone, with, is, someone is angry with us is really, really hard. But it is worth trying. As we do it, we need to assess if the anger is holy, if it is calling us back into right relationship. And if it's not, if the anger is abuse or cruelty or the product of hunger or fatigue or anything else, it serves no one to engage it. But if the anger is holy, we need to maintain the presence of mind to hear the other person, which is really hard to do. It's hard to listen to someone's anger. It can make us fearful and defensive, and it's very easy to sidetrack the conversation with tone arguments, saying, I can't listen when you're angry. Come back when you're calm. And demanding that, demanding that people who are hurt or outraged or oppressed speak in a tone acceptable to their oppressors continues that oppression. It delays justice. Hearing an angry person is challenging. But if we want to use anger for the work of love, it's a task we need to take on. We need to engage others' anger. See it as the signal that it can be. We cannot deny anger. The anger that we feel and the anger that others feel towards us. This is Beverly Harrison again. She says, anger denied subverts community. Anger directly expressed is a mode of taking others seriously, of caring. The important point is that where feeling is evaded, where anger is hidden or goes unattended, masking itself, there the power to act to deepen relation, atrophies, and dies. Anger is the signal that we are not in right relationship. And if we ignore that signal or don't act on it, we lose our chance to mend the relationship. One of my hopes for this community is that we are able to practice this here. When the anger comes, and we know that it will come, May we try to engage it and listen to what it teaches us about relationship and take the action that it calls us to make. So may we be gentle and angry. May we peel away anger down to its core of love. 
May we live into the dreams that Dirk read earlier. May all who enter here trust one another so surely that they dare to share the deep fires that burst into anger as much as the sweet spring waters that swell into laughter, the slow erosion of wounded tears as much as the soaring song. May we live with anger and with tenderness woven fine. May it be so. May we make it so. And amen. Amen.